Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is where we're going to be this morning as we talk, talk about the ultimate float trip. The ultimate float trip. And we are wrapping up our Animal Cracker series this morning where we've been looking at passages of Scripture in the Bible where there have been animals that have been featured that, that God uses to teach us uh, some maybe unexpected lessons or some surprising lessons or just some lessons in general that we always knew but we need to understand. And what better way to wrap up um, the series than with the ultimate float trip on a boatload of animals uh, the week before Bible school uh, as we kind of roll through this summer week. Now, uh, we build on this idea, though, of, of animal crackers, and, and you, I have some here. These are the Barnum animal crackers, which are the, uh, the better of the animal crackers that are out there. Um, you may or may not know that animal crackers have been around since the 1800s. So it, it's, not a, it's not a new thing. If you grew up with them, man, it ain't nothing. They started in the 1800s before most of you were ever growing up. Um, and you... Uh, you might be surprised to find out that each year there are 40 million packages sold each year. And a lot of brands are out there. I mean, there's all sorts of animal cookies out there. But this is the one that seems to be the most popular of the brands. This is the Barnum's Animal Crackers, named after P.T. Barnum. Now, just as a, a trivia question, how much do you think the estate of P.T. Barnum gets each year for this name on this box? The answer is nothing. Good job. The answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, Nabisco took P.T. Barnum's name uh, after litigation came out. Um, there was a loophole in the law, and the Barnum family and P.T. Barnum got nothing for having this brand put on these animal crackers. And through the years, his estate has not gotten a dime. What a deal, right? Um, and, and so, uh, absolutely unheard of. Now, originally, usually this one, this one has a little piece of cardboard on it because it's the wrong season. But I've been telling you every week why normally these would have a string on them. Anybody remember? They have a Christmas tree. Yeah. Because they're made to hang on Christmas trees. Um, they were decorations that were started for Christmas trees. They sold for a nickel. And the idea was that you would hang them on the tree. Uh, the kids would want presents before Christmas. you just tell them to go eat the tree. And the kid would go eat the tree. Uh, they would be happy, and they would kind of hang in there till Christmas morning. And there were decorations. And I suggested to you that God uses these animals, I believe, to kind of decorate the Bible, if you will, in our lives with some stories that we can learn from or we need to learn from. Now, that means during the Christmas season, they crank these things up, and they put strings back on them, even though right now they don't mark them that way. During the Christmas season, how much string do you think they use and packaging these crackers to go all over the world. I mean, it's not that far, right? How many? 35? Anybody got a higher guess? Several thousand. That'll be a winner. It's actually 8,000 miles of string. Look out! During the Christmas season um, that will go on top of these little animal crackers. And go from there. Now, how many animals do you think have been featured? How many? Well, not in a box. How many? How many overall? How many animals through the years have shown up in these things? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. Twenty-five. 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 
You're guessing. 54. 54 different animals. The most recent is the koala. And only one of the animals ever featured in the animal cracker box is wearing clothes. Anybody know what it is? What did you say? A monkey. You're right. It is a monkey, and he's wearing pants. He's the only animal they've ever put clothes. The rest of them are naked. Naked in the animal crackers right there. And that's, that's animal, animal cracker trivia. But I didn't want you guys to be left out today. Colby, those are your dads. Uh, but we didn't want you to feel left out. We wanted you all to be included today. And so we have a gift for all of you um, to entertain you while we teach this morning. This one to you. We uh, have a bag saying, do something wild for God on it. But if you turn it over, you're going to see the first edition ever of the church at 434 Animal Cookie. It's got the church logo on it right there. We got it for everybody this morning. Leroy, go ahead. Help walk this around. Let's, um, yeah. Just stand up and pass them out. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, babe. All right, we're going to pass these out. You guys feel free to go ahead and, and open these up while we, uh, while we teach this morning. Um, crinkle the paper all at once <laughs> so as not to distract your neighbor. Um, but um, and some of you are saying, they're so cool, we want to keep them forever. Eat them. Eat them. Um, and, then, and, then, and they'll be done, and they'll be gone. So just pass those around. And while you're doing that, um, let me talk to you a little bit about the ultimate float trip. The story of Noah and the Ark is a popular Bible story. It may be one of the most popular Bible stories. It is um, known by people whether they hang out in church or not. Uh, They tend to know about Noah and the boat and the animals that came in two by two, two giraffes, two tigers, two skunks, whatever. no, most people know about the flood. Uh, most people know that there's a rainbow at the end of the flood, and they know that it's a story and it's a Bible story. Now, they may not engage it at any level beyond that. They may not think any more than that about it, um, but it is a story uh, that is pretty well known. As a matter of fact, it, it shows up all the time, even in cartoons. For example, take a look at the screen. This is a, a panel cartoon of Noah coming to the realization that maybe he shouldn't have brought the woodpeckers. And, and I love the panicked look on the animal's face just looking over the side, hoping Noah will catch the woodpecker with the net that he's trying. Um, the next one, all kind of like the woodpecker one, but the next one is uh, the termites. Uh, worrying about the termites on this year-long boat trip that he's on um, and, and struggling with that a little bit. Um, if you think about Noah building the boat, go ahead and show the next one. Um, it was a busy time, so the, the, the says, I can't come to the phone right now. Please leave your name, number, and species after the beep. Uh, just to make sure you get your reservations. Um, the next one. If, if ever there was a um, a better illustration of you know how to build an ark, it would be IKEA. And I love the animals coming out waiting for Noah to get this thing home uh, to build it because it will take him years to get it done. I guarantee you. Uh, especially with the little Allen wrenches that they get, they give them to screw that up with and make sure it holds. Um, next one, please. Noah. Noah was a good listener. Um, and the famous Bible story is not Noah's arch. It is Noah's ark, and, uh, and, and we're glad of that. And the next one. 
Um, the whales decided that they wanted to get on board, and Noah was wise enough to say, you know, we really don't have room for them, and we don't need them on there. So anyway, Noah's Ark is everywhere. If you're not aware of that, you can find on any given day, on any given store, Noah's Ark T-shirts, Noah's Ark paintings, Noah's Ark music boxes. There are Noah's Ark, Noah's Ark restaurants out there, um, coffee mugs, aprons, earrings. Um, you'll even find on the Internet a recipe for Noah's Ark brownies. I have no idea. Um, one of the largest water parks in the United States is called Noah's Ark. And, of course, there is a themed attraction in Kentucky uh, called the Ark um, that uh, people are coming to, and it continues to break attendance records for it. A few years ago, Robert Fulgham wrote a book, and it's one of my all-time favorite books. It's called All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And it was so popular that it spawned a number of other things off of it, including this. And I found this this week when I was getting ready um, to share this morning. And it's this, all I need to know, I learned from Noah's Ark. And so this is the advice we learned from Noah's Ark. First, don't miss the boat. <laughs> Second, remember we're all in the same boat. Third, plan ahead. It was not raining when Noah built the ark. Fourth, stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something really big. Five, don't listen to critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. Six, uh, build your future on high ground. <laughs> Seven, for safety's sake, travel in pairs. Number eight, remember speed isn't everything. The snails were on board with the cheetahs. So as long as you keep moving, you're all right. Um, number nine, when you're stressed, float for a while. Ten, remember the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic by professionals. <laughs> And the last one is this, no matter the storm when you're with God, there's always a rainbow waiting. Um, there are lots of things that we could talk about when we talk about Noah's Ark. There's a lot of things uh, that we could say that have everything to do with our lives and being obedient. And I'm going to keep it very simple this morning to wrap up the series. Uh, I, I figured simpler was better. And so you've seen the worship, uh, the flyer you, this morning. You see the worship points that are there. If you have the app open, um, you can find them. If you're familiar at all with the story, there's nothing I'm going to say that's you're going to go, whoa, I've never thought about that before. Because this is a simple story. And it's loaded with simple truth, but it is not simple to get this ark built. And we live in a world that it is amazing, although the story is familiar, how many people just want to say it's a good story. You might uh, be amazed to find out, and if you're with us in Sunrise Bible Study, I mentioned that this was coming. Um... There are 270 cultures around the world that have ancient stories about a great flood that destroyed everything. 270. The stories all track pretty much the same. Um, man became corrupt. There was a worldwide flood. Uh, eight people survived the flood. Uh, representative of all land animals were saved, and they had been on the boat as part of the, uh, part of the flood experience. A dove is released to find dry land. And survivors come down from the mountain and repopulate the whole world. In 270 cultures, there is that story that tracks. Now, I suggested in Sunrise Bible Study, I would suggest it to you as well, that if you want to go back and you want to date, start dating those stories, you would tend to think that those stories all come from some source, one source. You're not going to find a book that's dated earlier than Genesis. 
And so all of these stories, these, these stories that are told in other countries, have come from what is a biblical basis of a story. The names that they use of the hero in other countries are a variant of the name Noah. Noah, Noah, No, Nos, and N. And I'm sure there's better ways to pronounce that, and that's all right. Um, but interestingly enough, historians, when it comes time to writing down and recording history, they will often encounter these ancient stories. And when they begin to find a pattern to those ancient stories, they begin to attribute that story and say then that story is true. And they base that on the written record and the verbal record of the countries and the nations that have told this story. And they find that common ground and they cause it to be true. However, in this case, historians argue over whether or not there was a great flood. They argue over the historicity of Noah's Ark. They, they argue over the story that this great flood came and consumed the earth and things like that because it is one of those things where if you say that it happened, then where do you go back and get the original story? You end up in the Bible. And so, if you don't want to make a faith statement, it's easier just to say, you know, it's a great story. It's a cute story. It's a fun little story. It's about a boat. And yet, when you begin to look and you begin to peel back the surface, there is tons of evidence that would suggest that you do need to deal with the reality of this story. Now, all of that makes a great study. And all of that would fill weeks of time that you could study and look at some of the details and discover some things about it. That's not the question before us this morning. As we wrap up our Animal Cracker series, uh, as you guys munch on 434 crackers, um, what we're going to come up with is simply this. What can we learn from the story about why God chose Noah? And what do those lessons mean to us today? Simple enough. And so let's go ahead and jump into the story about a man who was not a zookeeper. He was not necessarily an animal guy, as far as we know. He certainly wasn't a sailor. But what we do know about him is he was righteous. And that righteousness caused him to be selected for a task that I'm sure he had no idea was coming and that he was really not prepared to do, except as he started doing it, he discovered that he had all the preparation that he needed. And before we get into the story, I want you to know that that's probably how your life works too. See, while we don't know a lot about Noah, we know we find out he's righteous, we find out his story we realize that he takes on what is, at that time, the biggest building project in the history of the world. And there's nothing to indicate that this guy knows anything about this, and there's not a boat ever been built like this. And yet, he jumps in, and he does it. All of that becomes part of the story that becomes the fabric and fiber of things that we need to learn. But let's go to Genesis chapter 6 and read a story, beginning in verse 9. You know it, follow along. And then we'll unpack it just a little bit for a couple minutes. It says this. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it. Coat it with pitch inside out. And this is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 
30 cubics high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make it lower, make it lower, middle and upper decks. And I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all the life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, uh, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground. And they'll come to you to be kept alive. And you're to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. So how did Noah become this righteous man? Now, righteous is a term that you may or may not be familiar with. You may not use a lot. Um, it may not be something that you throw around a lot. So think of it this way. In other words, I'm asking the question, how did Noah become so right with God that he started living out the big God plan for his life? That's what we're talking about here. Here's a guy who, who knew God well enough, who was close enough to God, who was in tune with God, um, his relationship was right with God, and God began to unpack for him this amazing plan that he had. This is Noah. You're familiar with his life. You're familiar with the story. Um, but yet, it's a story that for all of us, there's some truth in there that we need to know. And so the first thing that you have to remember is simply this. You want to be like Noah? Noah trusted. Noah trusted. In other words, he believed God. He had a faith and he had a trust in God. He had a relationship with God. Look at verse 13. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all the living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with all of the earth. Noah is having a conversation with God and God is speaking directly to Noah. And Noah believes what God is saying. Throughout the Old Testament, we discover time and time again where God begins talking directly with people. And he talks with people, and we begin to see that there is a closeness that they have with God. They believe what he's telling them. They trust that. And this is what sets them apart. Not their activities, not their actions, but their belief and acceptance of who God is. Noah is considered righteous by God, not because of what he did, but because of his faith, because he trusted God. And so for, in order for any of us to get it right or to be right in the eyes of God, we begin with something that doesn't surprise you at all, but we begin with trust. We begin with faith. And so Noah had this. And these direct conversations with God allowed him to be ready and be in position to do something that God wanted him to do. Again, not because of what he did, though, but because of who he was in the relationship that he had with God. See, if you're here this morning... And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've made that decision to believe, trust, and follow Jesus, then you are lined up to do exactly what you need to do, and it is because of what he has done, and you're responding to that, that gives you a righteousness in his eyes. In our Sunrise Bible Study course, we're talking about the love of God, how God is love, and how big that love is, and how that love begins to define you. And so when that love begins to define you, because of that relationship you have with him, that sets you apart and it makes you different. And so for Noah, Noah steps up and Noah trusts God. 
for a lot of people, when they believe and they say, okay, I put my faith in God, he has saved me, a lot of times after that, they call it quits. They think they've done all they can do. They think that that's all that needs to happen and the story ends. And this is where the story of Noah becomes a little bit different than you might think it is because Noah does indeed trust. But Noah's getting ready to do things with his life where that trust begins to manifest itself in action in the way that he lives his life and the way that he does the things that he does and how he's going to follow up and pursue being that person that God has created him to be. But the starting point is he trusted. He trusted. Who do you trust for your life? Who do you trust for your eternity? Who do you trust to be the one that you are going to allow to shape and define who you're going to be? Is it the creator of the universe or is it someone else? Is it yourself? That's the choice that all of us make. That's the choice that everybody in the world that you meet is going to make. They've made a decision as to who they're going to trust and how they're going to live their life. Noah is a guy who places his trust in God, and that, that trust that he places in God begins a relationship where a conversation begins that sets Noah on a course that he will do something different. Which brings us to the second thing. Noah not only trusted, but he also listened. He listened. God told Noah to build a boat. He gave him the dimensions. He told him how to load the boat. He told him he was going to send rain. He told him he was going to flood the earth. I don't know about you, but if I'm having that conversation with God, that's a lot to take in. That's a big conversation. It's a big conversation that would lead to, at least for me, a lot of questions. And those questions would probably be all over the planet, and I would probably have so many of them, God would get frustrated at answering those questions. Instead, just say, Jeff, just do what I'm telling you to do. But for Noah... It could have been, um, what's rain? I mean, that could have been his first question, what's rain? Because most Bible scholars don't believe that rain had ever fallen out of the sky like it did prior to the flood. However, if you go back and dig real close, and we don't have time to go there this morning, like I said, there's a fascinating study we could do on Noah's Ark. But if you go and look at the book of Psalms, Psalms also reminds us that the springs of the earth exploded and welled up. And so it wasn't just just water that came from the sky. It was water that began to coming out of the ground through the springs that were already there that began this massive flood that was going to take place over earth. And when people say, well, well what happened to all the water? Yeah, it's still around. It's still around. Because depending on how you face life and how you believe that the earth was created and how you believe that landforms shaped as they did, it, and I forget exactly because it's not in my notes, but off the top of my head, if you were to be able to take, I mean, for example, let's put it this way. Someone would say, well, what, what about Mount Everest, right? It wasn't flooded with water. No, it wasn't. Because it wasn't formed till the flood. But if you could actually take a mountain range and press a mountain range down, I forget what the percentage is, and raise the ocean up just a little bit, we would be 1.6 miles underwater worldwide. Just a little bit of a geological shift changes everything. So where's the water? It was in the ocean. Three quarters of the earth right now is water. Land masses begin to form. And there's a fascinating study that you can do if you really want to look at it uh, that will take you down this road. Now, this morning, uh, if you, when you leave here, if you want to hear uh, an extra cookie, 
if you will. Uh, we've been adding extra cookies to the app and to the website, which is information that we're not talking about in celebration worship. But we, we, we kind of dance around and we answer a couple of the other big questions about the ark. One, how big was the ark? Um, and so we, we, we talk about that uh, in the extra cookie. How many box train box cars could you actually put on that three-level boat? Uh, and, and the conclusion is pretty amazing. And then we answer the question, well, how many animals would have been on the ark then? And how do you deal with that? How do you get all those animals? When you think about all the animals that populate the planet, how, where do they come from? And so those are some questions that we dig into on the extra cookie. And so if you want to dig a little bit deeper, go ahead and take the time and, and dig into that. But Noah might have just looked back and said, well, what is rain? And, and, and you want me to build a boat here on dry land? That's a little bit crazy, isn't it? Um, and not just a boat, big boat. Um, and, it, and it would have been something that it would have been tough to get through the city and get a permit for. <laughs> it really would have been hard to have someone draw the plans up on this one and explain, and explain to, to the folks how to get this one signed off. Um, but, but somehow, some way, Noah goes to work and he starts building this massive boat. Um, and, and he does, and he puts all this, and then he asks the question, we go, okay, God, we're going to put animals on the boat. Where, where are the animals coming from? And you're going to send them. And so I'm going to recognize them when they get here. And the answer to that is yes. And, and it's not as complicated as it might sound because God can do anything, and we know that. But the other thing that we figured out the story sometimes is that we're not that far removed from the Garden of Eden. And so when you talk about the creation moment and creation of the world and how things are out there, I mean, the animals would have been around. And, and so you begin looking at how this all kind of fits together in a big plan, and you say, okay, uh, some of that begins to make a little bit of sense. But, but Noah's got questions. And in spite of the questions, you have a staggering verse in this passage to me. It's verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. How many times in your life do you not do what God wants you to do because you have questions about it? How many times do you hold off on doing God's will for your life because it's just not as crystal clear as you want it? And you use this excuse. Well, God, if you would just give me more details. If you could just let me know a little bit more. Oh, I'd jump all over that for God. But, you know, he hasn't given me that clarity yet. And because I'm not that clear on it, I'm a little fuzzy on it. I'm just not going to do it. Well, did it ever dawn you that maybe you got enough to go? See, the philosophy that you ought to use is go to you get a no. God gives you enough to get moving. And God's always about trying to get you moving and following him. If you're moving in the wrong direction, he'll let you know. But sometimes, so often, we sit in neutral and we just keep thinking God's forgotten about me and he's not using me and he doesn't want to do anything with me. No, he's given you plenty. You have enough to be obedient right now. Get started and trust God and let him be the one that does the course correction for you. See, I think one of the most amazing verses in all of this passage we read is verse 22. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. That's the command. Build a big boat. I'm going to destroy the world and I'm going to send the animals to you. Don't sweat that. Make it three levels. Put a big door in it. You know, Noah at some point has got to be thinking, this door I'm building is too big. I can't get this door closed. What am I going to do about that? And I think as the story unfolds, if you really were to dig into the story, 
All the animals come on board. Noah's family gets on board. They get on board. And I notice in there, as it's starting to rain, going, okay, well, what's going to happen now? Because we got this big door and this whole this boat that we built, and it's too big for us to move. We can't do it. I mean, he's only got eight of them. Family can't do it. Can't send the family out and crank it up. God closed the door. Boy, I'm glad God doesn't take a day off and the day it starts to rain. But, I mean, these guys trusted God and took their faith all the way to the moment they got on board this boat with all of these animals when the rain began, not knowing how that door was going to close. Would your heart have skipped a beat when that door started to go? Mine would have. I mean, I'd have been watching it, looking at it, making sure it's sealed up, yelling at Shim, don't get your fingers in the door, son! Wanting to make sure that it closed up and happened just the way it needed to happen. Noah did everything that God commanded him. When Christian Herder was the governor of Massachusetts, he was running for re-election. And it was hard work, and he was running uh, in going to be a contested election, it looked like, trying to get his second term as governor of Massachusetts, and after a busy morning of chasing votes, he arrived late afternoon at a church barbecue that was given in his honor. Herd had been busy, he'd been shaking hands all day, he'd been traveling, he was famished. As he moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving the chicken. She put a piece of chicken on the plate and turned to the next person in line, and he said, excuse me, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? And the woman looked at him, tilted her head and said, sorry, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. He said, but I'm starved. And she said, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person, one per customer. He decided, and he was a mild-mannered guy, but he decided to play the governor card. And he said, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. I am running for re-election. And I am the one that this event is in honor of. I would like another piece of chicken, please. And the lady looked back at him and said, Do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of giving out the chicken. <laughs> one piece per person. Move it along, Mr. Governor. And that was it. The dude got no more chicken. How many of us know when the person who is really in charge tells us to do something that we just ought to do it? Noah did everything that God commanded him. He trusted God, but he also listened to God. And it was enough that God said it. For him, it was the end of the story. Which brings me to the third thing. Noah also obeyed. See, when we want to get it right, we can trust God and we have faith in God and, and we kind of step up and, and we start listening to God. But there's a moment when God tells Noah what to do and Noah has to decide, I'm going to do it. And he obeys. And he's willing to pick up the tools and he's willing to begin this massive project to become this person that's going to build a boat that God's going to use uh, to save humanity. 
A righteous man will listen to God. A righteous man will trust God. But a righteous man also will start doing what it is that God tells him to do. Look at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man and the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. See, for Noah, it is defining when it starts talking about the fact that he walked in close fellowship with God. In other words, he was willing to spend time with God. He was willing to talk to God. He was willing uh, to dialogue with God. He was willing to listen to God. He was willing to obey God. And for us, that too becomes a moment where you have to ask yourself the question, am I willing to be obedient and be the person that God wants me to be? Am I willing to put into action the things that God says so I can become the best version of myself? See, for a lot of us, we like the God thing. We think the God thing is cool. We think the God thing helps us out. It makes our life better. But at the end of the day, we have to deal with the fact that there is a calling on our lives, and the calling on our lives forces us to decide, are we going to be obedient? In other words, are you going to live life your way or God's way? And I promise you, your way and God's way is not the same. Left to your own, your way will screw it up. But if you're willing to listen, and follow the call of God, then you will discover that God has a plan for you, and the plan may be a little unorthodox. It may not be what you imagine. It may not be how you could figure it out, but the question you have to ask yourself, am I willing to do it? For Noah, he obeyed. What did it cost him? Well, I can guarantee you his neighbors didn't like it. I can guarantee you that the people around him didn't get it. And I can guarantee you that the people around him didn't like the message. You're building a boat, why? Oh, because God, your God's going to destroy us? what he says and you know and I'm sure that Noah had these conversations so you know you don't get mad at me get mad at God or get your act together change his mind I mean I, I can hear a whole lot of conversations taking place with the people around Noah but he does it and notice the other thing about this is that for Noah's family it doesn't say his family was righteous can you imagine the dinner conversation the night that Noah explained what he was getting ready to do. And I'm sure he played the father card just a little bit. I hear a little bit of Phil Robertson in him. Now, look at here, look at here, look at here. You boys want to get on the boat, you're going to help me build it. Understand? And at some point, they decided that they were going to step up and they were going to step on. They were going to get involved in this project as well. Because, you know, Dad might have moments where, you know, they're out there listening to him talk to God thinking he might be a little crazy. But they also trusted their father enough to know that they better pay attention. And they became involved in this project that ultimately would be the rescue for mankind. For Noah, those three things set him apart. He trusted, he listened, and he obeyed. And he decided that God's plan was the best plan for his life. And he decided that that was the plan that he was going to go with. See, along the way, through this whole series, we've said, do something wild for God. Pray that prayer. God, do something wild with me today. Do something unexpected with me today. Do something that I'm not even anticipating. Show me how you want to use me and let me jump in and do it. And so many of you have done that. And you've written it down and you've told me, uh, as you wrote it down, you were kind of amazed when you took inventory today of all the opportunities God gave you uh, to be used in ways that you just hadn't expected. 
and how God used those moments and has used those moments to decorate your life with the blessings and the reminders of how big God is and how amazing he is. And last week as we were talking, we began to kind of, uh, I said we needed to start landing this plane. And so if you want to do something wild for God, if you want to be that person that God begins to use, then here you take the model that Noah gives us. It's the last animal story we're telling. Do what Noah did. Trust, listen, and obey. If you've logged time in church, you've heard that lesson in Sunday school when you were growing up. You've heard that lesson in Sunrise Bible Study. You've heard those lessons through the years of vacation Bible school. You've heard that lesson every time you've heard the story in church of Noah's Ark. Trust, listen, and obey. Why? Because it makes all the difference. And when you trust, listen, and obey, it's also what sets you apart, and it's what sets you apart to become righteous. Righteous. In God's eyes. Because you've simply done what he asked. And each one of you in this room can live that life. Bow your heads and hearts for just a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you love us. And that love defines us, it sets us apart, it makes us different. And we thank you for what your word teaches us and the stories that are there. And we thank you for the journey that we've taken through these wild, crazy animal stories for the past few weeks that have brought us back to the same point over and over again. We have to make a decision. Will we trust you? Will we listen? And will we obey? Lord, there are some who are going to watch this later, some who will download this later, and some who are in this room right now that have never made the decision to believe, trust, and follow Jesus. So as a result, all the conversations that we're going to have about God's plan and becoming the best version of themselves, it becomes nothing but static and clutter in the background because they haven't done the first thing that has to happen. They haven't taken the first step. They've kicked the tires on it. They've thought about it. They've danced around it, but they've never decided to jump all in and decide that they believe, trust, and follow you. Lord, my prayer this day is that before they would leave, uh, they would simply fill out a worship flyer and drop it in the giving box and just say, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. That if they're listening and watching, they would right now just stop and fire us an email and say, I need to make that choice. How do I make it? What do I need to do? And in that moment, we'll have an opportunity uh, to engage and have that conversation and explain from your word how that can happen. Lord, there's others in this room who have trusted you and we'll do a little listening. But the obedience part, ah, that's where we struggle. I just want to pray this day that you would help us to remember the lessons we've learned and not be afraid to put our faith into action and to follow you, knowing that we're not always going to have all the details, but because we're following you, you do. And when we trust you, that's enough. Actually, it's more than enough. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would just do something wild with us. Make us more this day than we were yesterday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
But now what? I mean, you got them. We wrapped them up with that. Trust, listen, obey. Put into action those things that you discovered in this story, in this series, um, and we'll take off. Sunday, we start a brand new series called Shipwrecked. 